We're in Exodus chapter 23. Israel is out in the wilderness. They've been there probably a couple months by now. But God is in the process of changing Israel. And he's changing them from being Egyptian slaves to his own special treasure. He's called them to them himself. And God is laying down rules and regulations on everyday life for Israel and how they're to behave. And God sets the feast and the holidays that Israel is to observe. Feast of unleavened bread, feast of harvest, and feast of ingatherings. And these feasts would not last a day, but they would usually go on for about a week. So you had three times a year, you had a week's vacation. And God is very precise in his law to the people. And he covers just about everything that deals with their everyday life. The law was strict, super legalistic. And that always has an appeal to some people. Those who are constantly looking for boundaries, strictness appeals to them. All religions, apart from Christianity, is simply man attempting to please God by behavior, our behavior. God will give Israel 1,500 years to try and keep the law before Messiah comes on the scene. And the Jewish people are a very disciplined people, and they're a determined people. Yet the Jewish people only proved it is impossible to keep all of the law. In fact, they took the law and made it more difficult. The Mosaic Law is a covenant of works. And we Christians, as Mike mentioned, thank God, we're under grace. <laughs> and I too, Mike, would, I'd have to have a flock of sheep. You know, I'd be killing them left and left, right. But the Law of Grace is a covenant of Jesus fulfilling God's requirements for us. In Romans 5, 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And amen to that. A Christian simply puts his faith and trust in the work of Jesus on the cross. And that gives us a right standing with God the Father. It is so very simple, yet so very profound. But many people still try to work out their right standing with God through their own, perhaps, set of rules and regulations, and they fail miserably. So, as fellow believers, I beseech you, accept and cherish grace given to us through Christ Jesus. And by all means, stay away from the trap of legalism. Speaking of legalism, they constantly take polls that tell us that most Christians think, most Christians think they have a right standing with God through their works and behavior. 
If you get questioned apart from Calvary Chapel as to why you have a right relationship with God, do not mention works. You will disappoint your pastor. (laughs) But God will now tell Moses who will watch over Israel and bring them into the promised land. And that's still 40 years away for Israel. They're out in the wilderness. And God tells them, my own angel will lead you. So let's pick it up in Exodus 23, verses 20 through 33. Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if indeed you obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Persites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and any other ites you can think of. And I will cut them off. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will will take sickness away from the midst of you. No one shall suffer miscarriages or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come and will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. I will send hornets before you, which will drive out the Hivites and the Canaanites and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Little by little... I will drive them out before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. And I will set your bounds from the Red Sea to the Sea of Philistia and your deserts to the river. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in your land lest you make your, make, they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. But looking back at the early verses there, we see the question becomes, who is this angel that God will send? This angel will keep Israel on track. This angel will lead Israel to the promised land. This angel will demand obedience from Israel. And here's the kicker. This angel will forgive or retain sins. And this angel has the name of God in his own person. In scripture we have mention of two angels, Michael and Gabriel. The L in Michael and Gabriel denotes God with them. L means in the Hebrew, the generic Hebrew, it is a name for God. But neither Michael nor Gabriel are able to forgive sins. 
The actual name of Jesus is Yeshua, or the Lord is salvation. Some people get a little confused when it mentions Jesus being called an angel. Relax a little bit, because angel simply means a messenger. So if you have a message from God, in the broad sense of the word, you're an angel. Jesus is heaven's most special messenger. I'm currently reading a book, um, and it's about Jesus giving dreams to the Muslim people about himself. Quite a fascinating little book. But notice here, Jesus is telling the people out in the wilderness 40 years before it happens, I'm going to bring you into the promised land. So you've got to have a little faith if you're an Israelite out there. Jesus is omnipotent God for his people Israel, all-powerful. Jesus is omnipotent God for you and I. Jesus was faithful to bring Israel into the promised land, into that prepared place that he had for them. And here's the good part. You and I, as believers, are right where God wants you. You're right there. God is in the process of bringing us into his promised land, his prepared place. And life is simply the journey that we go through to get there. Now, you can go kicking and screaming, or you can go obediently to that prepared place. And I can say that with confidence because all we have to do is look at Israel in their 40 years in the wilderness. God prevailed over all of their sin and stubborn as they were to bring them into the promised land. Gives, gives a guy like myself hope. In John 14, 1 through 3, we read, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Right now, this moment, Jesus is preparing a place for us in heaven where we can be with him. The greatest blessing God can give any believer, any of his people, is to be present with them. Consider that. The presence of God is the greatest blessing he can give us. But let's look a little further into the proof of this angel in Exodus being Jesus. This angel forgives or retains sin. 
that tells the whole story, really. So turn with me to Mark chapter 2. Jesus is in the most popular time of his ministry. The crowds are flocking to him. The popularity of Jesus is stirring the attention of the scribes and the Pharisees. And they have a fear. They fear that Jesus will steal away their power and position over the people. So Mark chapter 2, and we'll look at first 12 verses there. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door, and he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was, so that when he had broken through, when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up his bed, and went out of the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Beautiful story. The people hear of Jesus being in a house in Capernaum. And immediately, a crowd gathers. The crowd is so large and so tight there in this house that there is no movement. It's standing room only in the strictest of the term. Back when I was in high school, about four or five years ago, we were in a severely, severely overcrowded school. And we were waiting for our new high school to be built. And we would squeeze through the hallways between classes. And there was one particular area in, in this one uh, hallway that would just absolutely jam up. It was a complete bottleneck. And you barely had room to breathe. But once you were in that bottleneck, there was no room to move or even bring your arms up to give you a little bit of space. This house is so jam-packed that no one can leave or enter. And we read that Jesus is preaching the word to this crowd. 
God who wrote the word, who was the word, now he explains and proclaims the word. Now that's a CD I would love to have. Wouldn't you love to hear that teaching? But outside we have four men trying desperately to bring their paralytic friend who lies on a stretcher-type bed into the house. Nobody's giving up their spot inside the house. (laughs) They can't give up their spot. There's no movement if this house is so jam-packed. And these four friends, they're resourceful, so they go up on the roof and they begin to dismantle, take the tiles up off the roof, and the homeowner is going crazy. No, I would be. (laughs) The paralytic most likely, not necessarily, but most likely, is protesting to his four friends. Don't do this to me. Why are you doing this to me? Did I ask you to do this? (laughs) But these friends, they're on a mission. They've heard about Jesus, and they're not going to be stopped by the crowds. And these four friends, tearing off the roof, they lower down the paralytic right in front of Jesus. Now they've done their part. And now they wait to see what Jesus will do. Verse 5, we see Jesus seeing their face, faith has a reaction that kind of surprises the whole crowd. Jesus speaks to the paralytic and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And this forgiveness of sins for this paralytic is the greatest need in his life. This paralytic unwillingly has been thrust right into the face of God. Now, I doubt seriously that the paralytic's four friend wanted to hear, your sins are forgiven you. They want to see a miracle, don't they? They want to see their friend walk again. And this paralytic, he is the center of attention, but it's not by his own choice. But Jesus has set him free of his sins. Now, Bear this in mind. This is a pre-cross forgiveness of sins by Jesus. That will mess with your theology a little bit. Jesus is forgiving sins before he goes to the cross. It sure stirs up questions in the religious leaders, the scribes and Pharisees. As soon as Jesus speaks of these healing or forgiving words, they begin in their hearts to to accuse Jesus of blaspheming. Basically, they're saying this man is of Satan, not of God. And you know what? Their reasoning is true, for only God can forgive sins. God alone. Verse 8, immediately Jesus knows their thoughts, though. And he says to them, why do you reason or question my words. And then Jesus asked them a question. Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven you, or rise, take up your bed and walk. 
And I believe Jesus gives them a moment to consider his question. He gives them a moment to reason, to ponder, to think through their answer. And I want to give you a moment. These religious leaders have right before them their eternities hanging in the balance. You talk about a dramatic pause by our Lord. This was a dramatic pause. And I, I know Jesus wants them to consider this. Think about it, fellas. Who am I? And that's a question for every one of us this morning. For every logical thinking person, who is Jesus to you? Is Jesus speaking blasphemous words? Or is he the only one that can forgive sins? It's one or the other. Every person who has ever lived must decide, along with these scribes and Pharisees, along with this crowd, who is this that forgives sins? And I'm glad for verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man, Jesus' title for himself, has power on earth to forgive sins, he looks at this paralytic man and he looks him right in the eye and he proclaims, Arise, take up your bed and go your way to your house. Now that third immediately. There's three immediately's here. The former paralytic immediately took up his bed and went out of the presence of them all. And all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. All were amazed. That had to include at least a few of the scribes and Pharisees. Not all of them were unbelievers. And we read this account of the paralytic, and it makes us proud of Jesus and the way he handled the whole situation. You know, you want to stand up and go, yay, God. <laughs> and this demonstration of power by Jesus to heal and forgive sins, it, leads, it leaves us in awe of him. But how about his four friends of the paralytic? They have to be in awe. The scribes and the Pharisees who wanted to accuse him of blasphemy, they have seen a miracle. They can't deny it. And the crowd that's there, you know, they have to be restrained, I think, or they're going to make him Messiah right now. So the question that we get out of this for all of humanity and this question must be answered. It cannot just be left hanging. It is a question that each and every person must answer. Who is this son of man that not only heals 
physically, but forgives sins. Who is he? If he's God, worship him as God. If he's just a man, then that's your opinion. But you have to make a decision. Who is this one that heals and forgives sins? Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. I'm going to pray. One, if you need healing, that God will heal you. And if you need forgiveness, I'm going to pray for that too. So let's pray together. Father God, first of all, I thank you for this beautiful demonstration by Jesus as to who he is. He is the one who heals. He is the one who forgives sins. So, Lord, I'm sure there's people here that need a healing touch from you. You are the great physician. You are the one who heals. You made us. You formed us in our mother's womb. You know what makes us tick. You can heal minds. You can heal bodies. You can heal spirits. And we ask you, Lord Jesus, to be our healer to touch bodies, to do the miraculous like you did for this paralytic. We ask you to do that. But, Lord, we also run to you and ask you to forgive us of our sins. And, Lord, not only the sins that we know that we commit, but those sins that are of omission, where we are supposed to do good and we don't do good, and we... We fall into that category way too often, Lord. Forgive us. Give us a heart, Lord, that's after you. Give us a heart that runs to you and desires to be pleasing to you and desires to come under your banner of righteousness. Be our God. Be our healer. Thank you, Lord, for demonstrating your power to that group there in Capernaum as to who you are. And thank you for demonstrating that power today. You are our Lord, you are our Savior, and you are our healer. And we worship you this morning. Thank you for this time in your word. And may all power and glory be yours. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.